Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus in the 34th chapter, beginning at verse 29 and continuing through verse 35. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak. With the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, his account of what took place on the day of transfiguration, chapter 9, beginning verse 28, continuing through verse 36. Again, I invite you to listen. For a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one of the things they had seen. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. It seems that at various times throughout history, God has indeed endeavored to make himself known through a variety of ways and means to his creation. He has been revealed in a burning bush, through a pillar of fire, through a cloud on a mountaintop, through the presence of Jesus. He has produced signs and wonders which have not shown his majesty directly, but which have witnessed to his power. He has spoken through the law and the prophets, sending his word as an ongoing self-revelation, even 
today, his spirit testifies of and to his presence among and with humanity. These instances of God choosing to make himself manifest are admittedly fairly few and far between. They are, however, each and every one a reminder to us of not just the reality of God, but of the care and compassion which this particular God has for his creatures. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if God would reach out every once in a while and dramatically reveal himself to each and every one of us? It sure would be great if that would happen, yes. But if it hasn't happened for you, don't feel bad. I'd say you're in the majority. That said, we can take great comfort in knowing that God has chosen over the course of a pretty long history to reveal himself to even some. That knowledge in itself is rather awesome. The global pandemic, lockdowns and restrictions, supply chain disruptions, the great resignation, as they call it, soaring inflation of war in Europe, on and on it goes, one tough blow after another. Folks are beginning to wonder, when are we going to get a break? Where is God in the midst of all this? Just this morning, we finished a two-week study of the book of Job in our Sunday school class, and these questions have been floating around for a long time. I think that the answer might be that God is right where God needs to be. Right in the midst of all of this, things have, after all, been pretty bad before. In the story of God and his covenant relationship with his people, we read of times and places when and where the people, like Job, felt themselves in a pickle. They may well have been times in their lives when they were wondering if their petitions were simply being ignored or if they were not even being heard at all, for it seems as if there was nobody home when they called out. An absent God is not a particularly helpful one after all. You may recall the incident at Mount Sinai as Moses had been called up the mountain to meet with God and to receive from him the two tablets of the law, how Moses was gone from the assembly for 40 days and nights. Well, that was too long for a leader to be absent, the people decided. So they looked to his brother Aaron to become their new leader and to get on with business. As far removed as we are in time and space from them, I don't think we're all that far removed from their sense of impatience. In an era of instant gratification, if we don't get an answer from the Almighty or His appointed one right away, we begin to grumble or even to doubt. But make no mistake, God is right here with us just as he was with the people who spent a week marching around and around the walls of Jericho, 
just as he was with Daniel and his friends in Babylon during their time of trial by fire, just as he was with Queen Esther in Susa during the Edict of Extermination, and quite blatantly, just as he was that fine day with Peter and James and John and Elijah and Moses, and he made known a very special relationship that day with Jesus. His disciples had known Jesus. He was a great teacher, a great preacher, a great prayer, a great leader, and a great friend to them. They hadn't known him as superhuman, but they marveled at the revelation. It must have been hard for them to reconcile that this was the same Jesus they had known as the carpenter's boy from Nazareth. Those who had accompanied him up the mountain couldn't help but reappraise his identity in light of their experience. Such a stunning theophany, a divine appearance, as that which took place at the transfiguration of the Lord, calls to my mind that long-running public television program, The Antiques Roadshow. My mother, who was uh, an amateur antiques dealer and a very professional antiques collector, probably could have lived her entire life without a television in the house, were it not for PBS. You all know the premise for that show, a traveling circus of celebrity appraisers and guest experts in things like fine arts. They descend on a town and they invite the locals to come on out with their prized or sometimes they're just very fascinating and unusual heirlooms and tell the TV audience out there their stories, what they know of these items, how they came to be in their possession this day. And finally, the people are always asked the signature question of that show, do you have any idea just how much something like this might be worth? And when it comes to that question of value, not just sentimental, but the sort of value that you might assigned to something for, say, insurance purposes. Often the owners of the stuff know pretty well what the thing is and roughly what its fair market value might be. But every once in a while, and that's what's made the show enduringly popular, I think, someone brings in a real diamond in the rough an item that's been gathering dust in a trunk in the attic or sitting on a bookshelf in the living room or hiding on a wall in a bedroom for ages, a priceless treasure that's been there the whole time, a pearl of great value hiding right there in plain sight. After being informed on camera of their newfound riches, the people often appear shocked and are often dumbfounded, muttering something like, I, I had no idea. Well, that's how I imagine Jesus' trio of companions looked, felt, and sounded as they prepared to hike back down to base camp. And that's the way I suppose most any of us 
would also look, feel, and sound were we, unlikely as it may be, to find ourselves in a similar situation. Perhaps, though, we might find ourselves more likely than we think to be in such a position. For this God who has revealed himself so very startlingly, startlingly, it's easy for me to say, and powerfully to many in various books of scripture, has not ceased his work and hidden his face since the closing of the canon 2,000 years ago. Indeed, God remains just as engaged in the life and the work of his creation today as in ages past. He continues to be hiding in plain sight, and his spirit continues to offer corrective lenses to his followers so that we might see him more clearly as we used to sing day by day. This past week, it isn't just the presence of God that can be a a bit difficult for us to discern at times, I was reminded, but it can also be difficult to sense often God's invitation, his invitation to participate in his redemptive work in this world. My father-in-law had eye surgery this past week, and as many of you know, following the removal of a cataract, The world around you looks markedly different than before that procedure. Imagine what it might be like to have our eyes open to God and what he's calling us to do in as sharp a focus as that. I heard a report on the radio of a grocery delivery driver who was making her appointed rounds, including that to the home of an elderly widower. When she rang the doorbell to let him know that his order had been delivered, she set it right there on his front porch. He came to the door looking a bit disheveled and acting a bit disoriented. Well, instead of wishing him well and getting on with her route, she took note of his condition and asked if he needed any help getting the packages of food into the house. As she entered, The driver could sense something wasn't quite right, and she thought she detected a faint odor. A a call was made, and responders then discovered a gas leak at that residence, which could well have turned tragic had it not been promptly addressed. The person who was reporting on this event asked rhetorically, how often we find ourselves in a position to render aid or comfort of one fashion or another, and the opportunity just passes us on by. Not on account of intentional malice on our part, but rather on our account of failing to recognize or to respond to that which is right there in front of us. Perhaps it doesn't look like an urgent crisis, If you happen to be out for a walk in your neighborhood, for example, and if you notice smoke pouring from a neighbor's windows, well, it would be pretty apparent that some form of action was warranted. If, however, the situation was far less dramatic, it might not even register to us that something might be amiss. I heard of a person who was driving along an interstate and saw the passenger of a passing vehicle flashing a hand sign 
which the other driver happened to recognize as a sort of subtle plea for help. How many dozens or hundreds of other drivers had missed the signal or its meaning before this person called 911 and police were able to thwart an abduction in progress? When we hear a story like this, we realize that opportunities to serve in ways small or large are really all around us, often hiding in plain sight in the same way which on the Mount of Transfiguration, that which had been unacknowledged became unmistakably evident. As we prepare to enter into a new season for the church, the season of Lent, may we be granted a fresh anointing of the Spirit to sense the presence of God working steadily and powerfully in the midst of his good creation. And may we also more keenly sense the opportunities that continue to present themselves to us to side in the redemptive work we are dwelling in the midst of even to this day. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.